It was Thursday, Thursday night, when our Lord was betrayed. And during the meal, we heard how he washed their feet. And with the washing of that feet, he gave them an example, right? He gave them a new commandment, he would say later, that they love one another just as he had loved them, so they were to love. And all through that Thursday meal, our Lord spoke. It was no silent meal. It wasn't a quiet time. It was a time of teaching. It was a time of speaking. It was one last opportunity for our Lord to impress on his disciples what was to come. So he spoke of what was ahead, what was in store. He said things like this, where I am going, you cannot come. So he told them of his departure by the way of the cross. But he also said that this departure was for their good. Greater love has no one than this, Jesus said on Thursday, Maundy Thursday, that he lay down his life for his friends. It was on that Thursday night that he told them what was just around the corner. In a little while, you will not see me. But then again, in a little while, you will. And he promised them that when they saw him again, he would give them a gift. He would give them a gift that no earthly gift could ever compare with. He would pour out on them his spirit, the Holy Spirit. And it's no accident that Jesus told them what the spirit would do. When the spirit comes, he will remind you. He will bring to mind everything that I have spoken to you. This all happened on Thursday, the Thursday that we call Holy Thursday or Maundy Thursday. And alongside that new commandment and that promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus instituted this blessed meal. Bread they had eaten with him before and wine they had drunk with him before. The Passover meal even they had eaten, but never like this. Take and eat, Jesus said. And he filled that Passover with new meaning, my body given for you. Take and drink, he said, not just a cup of wine, but my very blood given and shed for you. This do, Jesus said, all of it in remembrance of me. On that Thursday night in which he would be betrayed, Jesus gave to his church not only his great commandment to love one another, but he gave us his supper. He gave us his sacrament. In this sacrament, we pray tonight, O Lord, you have left us a remembrance of your passion. That Passover of old was called a memorial. It was taken up now into a new and better Passover. No longer would we celebrate the memorial of the exodus from Egypt to Mount Sinai, but now we would have something better, the memorial of an exodus from death to life. We wouldn't just remember the deliverance from Pharaoh's bondage to Moses' leadership, but now we would have, with Jesus, the deliverance from hell's power and the liberty of God's children. We call this Thursday of Holy Week, Maundy Thursday. Not Monday Thursday, by the way, that's always a common confusion. We aren't unsure what day of the week it really is. It comes from the Latin word, mandate, mandatum. And we remember on this night both the mandate of love that Jesus gave to us and the mandate of the Lord's Supper. Do this, he said. We remember to remember. And when we do that, we are calling to mind what God himself always remembers. 
Now think of that tonight. I want you to ponder with me this mystery of the, of the memorial of Christ's passion. Think first about forgetfulness. Forgetfulness has its values, you know. Forgetfulness has its values. It can be a great blessing. After all, your mind can't possibly contain the memory of every detail, of every moment, of every conversation, of every day of your life. And so there is this wonderful thing that happens while you sleep. You forget a whole bunch. (laughs) This is the blessing of forgetfulness. You forget all the things that aren't important. You forget all the things that aren't essential, and that makes room for new memories. There's another blessing, though, that comes with forgetting, and that is that we can forget things that we don't want to remember. We can forget those things that are painful. We can forget those things that are sad. We can try, at least, to forget those things that are embarrassing, that are shameful, that bring on guilt when we think of them. And so forgetfulness does have its uses. Forgetting those things allows for healing. But usually, usually, right, forgetfulness is a tragedy. Forgetting our past leaves us adrift in the present. Forgetting those things, those events, those moments of our lives that have shaped and formed who we are, if we forget those things, well, we will forget ourselves. Tonight, then, is for remembrance. Tonight is to remember so that we do not forget, to remember what is most sure and most certain, to remember what is most essential about Jesus and about you. Tonight is for remembrance. You can only remember what you first learn, right? And so we remember things that we already know. Tonight we have Christ's sufferings called to our minds. And we've all heard the story before. We all know the details, more or less. We might have forgotten some of the minor details, but we all know the basic story. The point of remembering Jesus is not that somehow we have forgotten, but it is because of how important it is. It is because memory doesn't just look backwards, but memory also looks ahead. Now, think of that, right? We're, we're used to the first part of that. When we remember something, we are recalling the past. But our memory also prepares us to anticipate the future. If you don't have memories in your mind, you can't possibly anticipate what is coming next. The experience of the past, put it this way, furnishes our minds to anticipate what is ahead. And so it's been said that memory is the cabinet of the imagination. Tonight, then, let that cabinet be filled up. Tonight, let us celebrate, and please note that word well, it is indeed a celebration. Tonight, let us celebrate the memorial of Christ's passion. Let us fill up the cabinet of our imagination with Jesus so that he may shape and form us, so that he may prepare us for what he has in store for us ahead. Now, usually, usually memorials serve as kind of poor substitutes for the real things, don't they? A monument reminds us of a great general who is long gone. The murals downtown on the flood wall remind us of times past that maybe we wish would come back, but they're kind of in the distant past. The pictures that we put up on our walls at home even do this. They are memorials, in a way, of those who we love who are absent. And as much as we love those little memorials, as much as we love those murals and the monuments, as much as we love the pictures, 
we would all trade them in a heartbeat, wouldn't we, for the living memory? Which one of you wouldn't trade the picture of your children who you haven't seen in how long for their living presence? Which one of us wouldn't trade the pictures of our deceased friends and family for to hear their voices again? But we don't always have anything better. And so we have to make do sometimes, don't we, with this kind of poor substitute of a memorial. Now, God established lots of memorials in Israel of old. Sometimes it was just the building up of a monument. They heaped up a bunch of stones after they crossed over the Jordan River. Other times, like the Passover, there was a sacred act. There was a memorial ritual. It recalled the mighty plagues of old, and especially the sacrifice of the Passover lamb that had set his people free. They were to remember the blood on the doorposts that night. They were to remember the meat of the lamb roasted over the fire. They were even to taste for themselves the flavor, if you will, of God's deliverance. God gave them those memorials. He gave them that feast so that they would remember what he always remembers. Now, maybe that strikes your ear as a little bit funny. Can God really remember something? Our remembering makes sense, right? But how can God remember? See, we experience memory as this kind of polar thing. We remember so that we don't forget. And the contrast of those two, memory and forgetfulness, seems to be essential to what memory means. But God can't forget anything, can he? And so how, is it, how does it make any sense to speak of him remembering? But this is the way that God teaches us. This is the way that he speaks to us in scripture. He calls the Passover not just a memorial for Israel, but a memorial to the Lord. It wasn't just to remind Israel so that they wouldn't forget. It was also for the Lord to see so that he would remember. This is the same way, by the way, that God speaks about the rainbow in Genesis, remember? I will set my bow in the clouds, not so that we can see it, but so that he might see it and remember his promises. See, God loves to call to mind what he promises, not because he might forget somehow otherwise, not because it might slip out of his mind, but because he loves to surround himself with his promises, and he loves to surround his people with those promises as well. God is never in danger of forgetting a thing, but the point is this, the Lord holds in mind his promises. He is always holding them in mind. He saw Israel through the Passover long after that night down in Egypt. And he sees you now through the greater Passover lamb long ago, who long ago died on the cross. Our heavenly father delights, he delights, make no mistake, to have what he remembers be seen in the life of his people. He delights that his memory would be enacted in us and by us and on us. He delights that past deliverances wouldn't slip away just as they don't slip away from him. And so on that Thursday night, when Jesus was betrayed, he gave to his disciples the memorial that they would not remember former things any longer, but that they would remember the new things. Just as God had established the annual Passover as the memorial of redemption of old, so Jesus gives us a better memorial. A memorial that serves not merely as the substitute for his real presence, but as his own living memorial. 
For we do not have to choose with Jesus between having a substitutionary reminder of Christ or having him really here with us. We do not have to choose because Jesus gives us both. In this sacrament, our Lord comes to us. He is present with us to recall for us his great love, to recall for us our redemption so that we may know him again and anticipate the future things that our Lord is leading us to. Now, it may sound strange to remember this, but Jesus wants you to remember his sufferings. We might want to get over them and move on, but the sufferings of Jesus are not the kind of thing that he is ashamed of. They aren't the kind of thing that he is embarrassed about, that he wants to hide away and make sure no one ever asks about or thinks about or talks about. Jesus knows that it is precisely through his sufferings that he has reconciled us to the Father, and our Heavenly Father knows himself that it is through Jesus' passion and death that our salvation has been accomplished, and so he does not want the memory of those sufferings to be swept away and lost in the mists of time. No, our Lord holds forever in his mind the memory of the cross, and so should we. For it is in the sufferings of Jesus that we know the justice of God and the mercy of God meeting together. It is in the cross of Jesus that we know the promise that he will deliver us has been fulfilled. And so in this sacrament, we remember again, we remember anew what the Father loves to hold in his mind, what the Son never gets tired of, what the Spirit is always at work to bring to us again and again. In the memorial of Christ's sufferings, we remember his love, a love that furnishes our memories and shapes and forms us for the future, the future where love will be all in all, not just vague general love, but the love of Jesus, the future where just as Christ loved us, we will love one another. That future has begun in you, and it is to continue in you more and more and more. And so as odd as it may sound to celebrate a memorial of sufferings, that is precisely what we do. That is what we do on Thursday night in Holy Week, and it is what we do as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup. How fitting, then, that it is bread that our Lord gives us, bread that comes from the grain of wheat falling into the heart of the earth and dying, bread that comes from grain that is threshed and crushed and then put into the heat of the furnace so that it may become the food that makes us strong. How fitting that in this memorial of his sufferings, Christ gives us his blood as wine to drink, wine that comes from the blood of the grape, grapes that have been pressed and treaded out and then are transformed into the drink of festivity through that wonderful process of fermentation. This meal is so full of Christ's sufferings, even the food itself bears witness to it. But it isn't just the bread and the wine that serve us as memorials. St. Paul says that in your eating, that in your eating and drinking, you proclaim something. Your actions, after all, do speak just as loudly as the words. And so eating and drinking this food and this drink proclaims that we live, that we live on account of this particular food. Christ's passion is the basis for our life. His love, you can put it this way, supplies and renews and energizes your life. So as you eat and drink tonight, you proclaim his death 
as, the supplic- as what supplies your life. And one last aspect of the memorial of Christ's passion. It is not a mute meal. We do not assemble here in silence, although the kids are actually being really good tonight. We assemble here to make a little bit of noise, don't we? There are, of course, times for holy silence. There are times for awe and reverence. But the memorial of Christ's suffering is something that we celebrate. We do not hang our heads. We lift our hearts. We do not mourn his sufferings as those who have no hope, but we thank and praise him for it. For if his people would be silent, then the very stones would have to cry out. The memory of Christ's passion furnishes us, it shapes us, it forms us to be a people of love as our Lord of love, to be a people of thanksgiving and praise, to be a people who sing and make melody together with our music and with every moment of our lives. So let us celebrate the memorial of Christ's passion. Memory, after all, is the cabinet of the imagination. So recall tonight what has been accomplished for you, so that you may anticipate all that your Lord has in store for you. Remember, give thanks, eat and drink and rejoice. Remember what the Father delights to remember, what the Son himself never gets over, what the Spirit loves to renew in you until that day when it will be all in all. To Christ be the glory now and always. Amen.